This Tuesday, Ireland head to Sweden in a bid to keep their World Cup hopes alive. Five yards out, in towards O'Sullivan with the header! And a hat-trick! Full live and exclusive commentary on Tuesday at 5.30, only on OTV Sports Radio. Monday Night Rugby on Off The Ball. With Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Okay, we're good to go. Busy weekend to talk about. Needless to say, we are joined by Keith Wood, Fiona Hayes, the Munster Mafia taking over. Hey, Keith. Why not? We always get a bit of criticism for talking too much Munster. We might even do a little bit about that again this evening, but no harm. Yeah, if we're lucky, we'll squeeze in a mention of Ulster's win and Leinster Connacht. But, you know, Fiona, you're very welcome. How are you doing? I'm good, Joe. Thanks for having me. So uh, the word from the Limerick leader and then uh, confirmed elsewhere and reported elsewhere is that Graeme Rowntree will be the next Munster head coach in the absence, obviously, of uh, Johan van Graan. This had been the word generally when you were asking people in the know over the last couple of weeks. So it seems they're moving, I would presume, towards some kind of uh, official announcement. They'll have to respond sometime to these uh, reports. So 50 years of age, the current forward coach. Generally, Fiona, if you've been part of the 2015 England World Cup management team, this is the place to come. Yeah, they all seem to be uh, doing well over here, don't they? Look, I think it's a it's a great appointment. Um, I'm a big fan of his. Um, I, I I love what he brings to set piece. I, I've talked to him about mall defence a few times. You know, he's very open to to chats about. He loves talking rugby, and and you can see it in the way he coaches. And I think we saw that at the weekend as well through BT. You could see footage in the dressing room. He seemed to be the main man um, talking in there to Munster at half time. So he's probably had an influence um, been leading the charges for the last last few weeks I would imagine the biggest thing for me going forward now is the guys we get around him there has to be some really good backline attack coaches defence coaches brought in so I, I would say that's where they're, that's why it's slightly delayed I would imagine they're still looking in that area Yeah so your reaction to Rowntree then Keith? Um, yeah it's funny I was on um, um, off the ball OTBAM last week and I just said look if they take their time it may be no harm because um, I think that was the it seemed as if there was a huge push to try and get everything done. And this is, I, I don't know that it's been handled particularly well, but um, but for Graham, um, he is liked. Now, that's, I'm not saying about myself, I like him a lot. I toured with him, the Lions in 97. Um, um, he's a quality guy, or a real quality guy. He is rugby guy through and through. Um, a little bit old school, and I don't think there's anything wrong in that either. And... Um, I think trying to build on the idea of uh, of what it is to play for a team is something there was a huge similarity between Leicester and, and Munster for a long time and some of the other teams, Gloucester to a degree, uh, but Leicester were a winning team always and he has grown up with that idea of, win- of winning. Um, he's very well credentialed. And uh, when I we discussed it last week, I said, look, he whatever happens, we know he's there, which is a great thing because it's a level of of um, not having to start entirely from scratch. And even though I, I struggle at times with the manner in which Munster play, um, you do want to try and build something out. And um, um, a lot of the play that in the forwards has been pretty decent. I think there's a decent number of players coming through. Um, and I will say one thing that stands out is different. And I, it's funny because I haven't been in the loop at all in terms of this. So I haven't... Of course, he had to be in it and he professed a willingness to do it, but I hadn't come across any other names, which is quite interesting. So so it's been fairly quiet. But as so often happens, it gets announced 
not by the people who are giving him the job. It's the rumor mill, which which just means that the comms is wrong as well. You know, you want to be fairly excited when these things happen. But I'd still say I'd be really interested to see what it's what he's like as a head coach. He's never been a head coach. So what's he going to take to it? Um, he obviously has had uh, some influence in the last period of, of, of time, but what happens when he gets full influence? And what support structures, Fiona said, what support structures is he going to is he going to have around him? Um, I would say consistently, guys get the job, um, and you just need to put as many around them as you possibly can. Just it's there's there's huge passion to it, huge expectation. Um, there has to be allowed an amount of time to grow something um, new. And I know all fans will complain and say, well, you know, Monster have been in transition for a long time. Well, they're in transition still, and they will be now with a new coach. So it's someone who really wants it. That's That's been very obvious over the last while. Um, but again, I want to see who's the defensive coach, who who is the attack-minded coach. Is there a skills coach that comes in as well? You know, because Munster need to accelerate away from, from some of their deficits. So, um, look, I'm, it's, I'm waiting for the proper announcement and to see what comes with that announcement. You mentioned as a player, British and Irish Lions, you'd heard with him of a sense of him as a person. He spent eight years with that English coaching ticket upon a retirement in 07, was part of two Lions tours in 13 and 17 and now of late has been at Munster and spoken very well publicly. And even at Sandy Park, we saw at halftime, he was reading the riot act to the players. The cameras picked that up at halftime in the dressing room and uh, certainly seemed to have the attention and respect of everybody around him. Uh, you would know him better than us does he strike you as head coach material? Well, he strikes me as someone who's very quiet and and he is quiet, but though we did see during the game that he, he is not averse to throwing a few uh, words, choice words into people. Um, but he is building and growing his CV. And it's, I remember having a conversation with Ron Nagara about this a few years ago and people were saying, well, what about this? And what about that? And he said, what are these people on about? I'm only starting to learn. It could take me 15 years to to get to to where I want to try and get to. And a lot of people forget that just because you're a very good rugby player, can you just automatically walk from one to the other? Well, there's an awful lot more to being a rugby coach than being good at playing rugby. And there's a huge amount of man management, a huge amount around selection, around nuance, around uh, player management, game management, um, uh, building a culture that's that's fit for purpose. There's a whole uh, array of skills yeah. that are required. Sure. And so, so I guess hence the question, what strikes you about Roundtree in that capacity? Well, what strikes me about him is that he is a, he's taken the route. So he has gone through, he kind of jumped a couple of rungs, but then has worked at them long. He didn't jump, jump a couple of rungs and then go to a head coach. He hasn't done that. Um, what he has done is... He's come over here. He's pretty much made Limerick his home. He is, uh, he really likes the idea of it. I know I'm not trying to overplay that. Um, it's a big thing for him, but he likes it because he likes the idea of the passion and the old school nature of it. Um, I think he's an ability to work with people. As And the point I would say, so I look, I hope he'll be fantastic at the job, of course. Mm. I think he's got a lot of the skills for it. I think he still needs to learn some of the skills for it. But I'm hoping that he surrounds himself with 
as, as bright um, coaches as he possibly can, um, maybe even a little bit disruptive, look at things a little bit differently because Munster need to have a bit of a change. It's been static for a while. Yeah. Fiona, what's your sense of what Rantree will bring to the party? Yeah, I like uh, the way he talks about that old school thing. I think that's something that uh, he talked, you talked about Limerick, you know, proud Limerick woman here, but uh, that's something that people love. They love that passion up in Toma Park. They love what he brings. You can see him, you can see in the way he he he, he talks. I'm, I've been at training sessions, the way he, he talks to the players, he just adores that side of the game. He, his face lights up, so he brings, he brings that side. What I would love to see is a new innovative coach coming in with him because, you know, you can have that old school side, but you also know the game is constantly moving forward. And I think he is the type of character that would love to listen to to what people are telling him and taking everything from around him. So I think it's where we go with him. I think he brings the passion. He'll definitely have the man management. I, I think he'll bring, and um, we've seen with the forwards, he's detailed in certain areas, especially Maul, in carries. We've seen footwork, you know, the young guys coming through, Thomas Ahern, constantly improving. So I think he has that. It's how we can incorporate a coach and an innovative style of attack now with what he offers himself. Yeah, that's perhaps the key point because everything we've seen of Rentree and Keith mentioned some of the, the soft skills required to be a head coach and, and, and selection issues and, and man management. But uh, Fiona, to your point, what Unst- what uh, Munster are crying out for is not so much passion. I feel I think they're a fairly committed group. It is innovation. It is to be cutting edge. It's, to, it's for us to be coming on here in a year's time saying, whoa, are you seeing the attacking play Munster are putting together? That attack coach has come in and made an impact. So in some respects, that's, not as important, but it's not far behind Rentree in terms of the next key appointment. Yeah, that has to be essential. Like that's that's the big thing. I mean, how how many times have we talked about Munster's attack on on off the ball, you know? And it it's 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 non-existent at times, and it's the same old same. So you know, we've seen glimpses in performances. We saw what Larkin bought at times, probably not enough. But as you know, when players, when you know someone is going, do you fully buy into that system? You know, around Christmas time, we knew he was leaving. So I I think someone new, someone innovative. He gets a little bit of time in the role. He's starting it to start it season or or she maybe <laughs> um but look we we'll see going forward but i think there has to be something we have to st- if we're going to catch up with with the likes of leinster and and other teams like that we've got to start seeing more innovation attack because we know and myself and you joe have talked about it we know that monster have the passion and the heart it's elsewhere we need to see changes and slight fixes and how we play the game so Sandy Park at the weekend, Exeter 13, Munster Raiders out finished. The return leg is at three o'clock on Saturday at Thomond Park. This one very finely balanced. And I suppose if the Champions Cup organisers are hoping to justify the change in the competition, this will be amongst the games they'll point to. It's very intriguing. Uh, Munster were down 10 points to nil at half time. It was, uh, by all accounts, Fiona, very, very poor Munster first half. This could have been a lot worse for them. So in the second half, Exeter spent the last 15 minutes down to 13 men, two yellow cards, and, and that brought Munster back into this a touch. They'll potentially be relieved enough, Munster, to get out of here. This could have been ugly. Yeah, it definitely could have been ugly. We saw, um, you know, especially I think it, in the first half, there was like nine penalties on the at the breakdown, which would like as a coach, you'd be absolutely cracking up. They were they weren't cohesive. Things weren't happening for them. It should have been. I, I watched it back. It should have been a much higher score. Um, to be fair, the Munster defence and the scramble defence at times in the first half was excellent, but definitely not a performance, you know, worthy in that first half. I think 
at the start of the second half they came out we saw a little bit more and and they really pushed pushed Exeter but it's it's those two uh, those two yellows I think it was Woodburn first and then uh, Shinkerling um, I think that gave Munster the opportunity to attack and when they got the ball wide I think that's when we saw Munster um, really doing damage to Exeter lucky to get away with that but you have to absolutely tip your hat off to Munster and the defensive skills and the heart and aggression Jack O'Donoghue was everywhere for the whole game I thought he was absolutely immense and that uh, God saving Keith Earl's tackle at the end I mean like it just shows what what they can do in defence and hopefully when they get to Tome Park we might see a bit more in attack because Exeter will, will probably be fairly confident coming to Tome Park after that performance Yeah as soon as you mentioned the Earl's tackle Keith I'll get your broad thoughts in a, in a moment but the Earl's tackle on Ollie Woodburn could prove to be very very important across these two legs it's very interesting even in his uh, autobiography last year I was thinking of it when I saw the tackle because Earls has a whole chapter in that book just on defence because when he arrived on the scene defence was not high on his priority list and as his career has progressed he has studied it he has uh, seen it very much as a craft and now takes real pride in his ability to make reads and I think he recognised where that Exeter attack was likely to finish up and he made a beeline for it early it was an outstanding moment from him Yeah he made a beeline for it but he also held he was running across the field, but he waited before he accelerated. And um, when he knew he had to go for it, because if he'd gone too early, there's a potential for a step inside and mm. there was no potential. I thought it was phenomenal defence. Um, he made the hit. You'd have thought Woodburn would have carried over, but like Merles was like all arms. It was like an octopus, all arms and legs flinging around him and there was no way that ball seemed to have a chance of getting anywhere near the ground you know so I thought that defence was good I um, look I was I'm thrilled for him because he came back from a hamstring injury and it's very hard to suddenly at the end of a game sprint the, the, the way across the field to make that happen so he didn't care about himself either in that instance and that's something that you're you're looking for I thought there was an awful lot to be um, happy for in the game there was a lot of injuries there was sickness there was a whole variety of things wrong um, I thought our defence in, in open play for the vast majority of the game was fantastic it was a really good defensive line really good hard hits um, our defence off first phase lineouts in particular was poor and um, Chris Farrell got exposed um, kind of coming flat-footed at times. He was almost on his heels. I don't quite know why that was happening, but he got exposed a couple of times. He didn't have his best day either um, and uh, still have the sneaking suspicion that he's a 12, not a 13. But, um, uh, and you know, Munster were exposed in that area a couple of times. Um, I have to say Exeter wasted so many opportunities and Munster wasted a few too, but wasted so many opportunities. I still got a bit annoyed down to 13 men pick and go. I mean, the space has to be outside when mm. you're five yards from the line or 15 yards from the line, but getting pushed back by 13 players from five metres out to 22 metres out, great defence, but not a whole lot of thinking required in that defence. So, so um, for, for you, they reverted to one-off stuff instead of stretching the 13 men far too often. Yeah, they, they did. And that's frustrating, you know. So um, look, I I looked at the game and I thought, yeah, there's, there's a lot going wrong. Is this one of those days that Munster will dig back out again? And in fact, it, I think they did in many respects. Yeah. It could have been 15, 18 points um, of a difference and it isn't. And for that, they should be particularly happy. Mm. And um, it's 
like you don't want to be happy losing, but that's the nature of this two-leg match. We haven't had it before. Strangely, I think it's a cracking idea. And when you're looking at an awful lot of the games that are there, um, there's a couple that seem to have a large distance between them, but all the rest are hanging in the balance. And that makes for a very exciting game at, at home. I think so. I think people are warming to it and there'll be a sense of anticipation across this week. So a five-point head start for Exeter at home and on Saturday, Fiona. What are you thinking for the second leg? Um, yeah, I think, you know, I think that I think that Exeter are going to be going in fairly confident. We don't know what injury. We haven't heard about Peter O'Malley yet. Um, Kendall had a HIA beforehand. So look, um, and Jack O'Sullivan got injured in the game. So we don't know what type of back row is available. I think there there's a massive ba- battle. I thought, I, to be fair, I thought Hogg during the Six Nations, I wasn't overly impressed. When I saw him with Exeter, it was like looking at a different player altogether. That drop goal was immense. Mm. I think they're going to, I think they're going Going to tighten things up because as Keith said, like uncharacteristic errors when they're inside the 22, there was there was lots of like um spills or you know, Munster turned over their ball, which wouldn't isn't really Exeter-esque. You know, they're they're very clever and very clinical in there. Can I just touch on, on one point there? That lack of clinical, they've really Exeter really struggled more than any other team that I've seen at the moment with the um the non-latching going over the line and also um, unless the, if the ball is held up over the line it's a dropout they've really struggled with that as, a, as an idea it seems to have depowered their biggest strength and it's actually what brought them to the uh, Premiership title and the European title a, a couple of years ago was that constant forward power it seems to be working against them a little and they don't I mean they're well able to work in the back line but in the 22 they don't seem to be that creative yeah, yeah. So I, I, I think you are correct at times. I know they weren't, they didn't start off the Premiership really well, but I thought they were kind of coming into a form in the last couple of months. And I thought we were seeing that they were getting a bit to terms. Their pack was being a bit more dominant than we had seen them play. But I think they'll come over. I think they'll be they'll be looking at attacking that forward uh, pack for Munster, especially because, you know, as I said, there's going to be a few uh, newer guys in. I thought Thomas Ahern was another guy that was immense when he came on. So so look, it's, 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 it's in the balance. I think it's going to be a Munster win because you, you can't beat Tom Park at home you know they've they've kept him to within that five points but it's going to be a big battle up front yeah Exeter have to come out and play Keith five points isn't enough of a cushion to try and uh, shut up shop for 80 minutes what's your sense of second leg yeah second leg um, it's whether Exeter will will make that those adjustments in a week and um, it, when they play that wide off first phase ball and if Munster's defence is cut out um, Munster could be in trouble because I would expect them to be more accurate the difference um, I would see is I would expect Munster to shore up that defence that that, that defence lapse I mean there was nothing lacking in attitude the the main defensive line in open play was was phenomenal Um, and you know when you're you're looking to score from 60 metres that's they're wonderful to watch but you can't guarantee that all the time for a guy to kind of slip or, or step out of line. Um, so I think Munster can tidy that up an awful lot. But I do expect Exeter to bring far more to the game. And um, uh, it was it, it was interesting, interesting watching, interesting listening to Rob Baxter talking through the game. You know, when he's when he's interviewed, he seems to be incredibly candid and honest in those conversations. And. Um, I, they just seem to have a huge level of frustration and I think they left a lot of points behind them 
I would still take the same view, actually. Um, Munster in Thoman Park um, against a team that I know they're fourth in the Premiership, but they've really had to work unbelievably hard to get up there. They haven't had that superiority that they've been used to in seasons past. Um, I think it would be Munster's to win. Um, I still I still want Munster to show more of a cutting edge um, because it's... Uh, um, because when we go now to talk about Ulster, uh, Ulster are showing cutting edge all over the field. Mm. Well, let's do that. With your permission, I'm going to move off Munster. Is that okay, you two? We're allowing <laughs> all that. Right, Joe. I'm always happy to talk about them. It's <laughs> definitely you, Joe. You know. Toulouse 20, Ulster 26, Stad Ernest Fala. I mean, this is extraordinary in that the conversation in advance of this game was what kind of a deficit can Ulster take back to Belfast and still feel in the tie? And instead, in some respects, they're disappointed to come home with a six-point advantage. They were, for anyone who missed this game, they were 26-13 up at the death. And to lose, and this was very much the two legs coming into things, were still very much going forward because all was not lost. And they did score a late try, Roman Intimac, mm-hmm. to bring the deficit from 13 points back to just six points ahead of the game in Belfast. Uh, it was looking ominous. First 10 minutes, to lose, it scored a try. And then a red card... This is a theme. This is how we, I mean, this is, it's most weekends now in rugby we're, we're saying this about one game where it turns on its head due to a red card. Tackle on Ben Moxham in the air. Definite red card, I think, uh, Fiona, wasn't it? Yeah, definite red card. There was no qualms there. I know when you're over in France, the crowd go mad and there was a lot of boos, but Jesus, no, it was definitely, it was the most, uh, I think it was the most obvious one of the weekend. So it was, it was absolutely blasted him in the air. It was actually quite dangerous. So at that point, Ulster down seven points against 14 men for the next 70. What was your sense of the game? Yeah, I thought um, I thought they were starting to come into their own. I thought I was I was really impressed with the way Hume and McCluskey worked off one another and Billy Burns. I thought it was they've built up such um, they know each other inside out, and we could see that. I know Balakoon was absolutely immense. He got his hat trick. But the thing about Balakoon as well, he made a very big uh, tackle on Thomas Ramos, which could have been another try inside the twenty-two. So he had he had an absolute massive game. We just, the thing about Toulouse, and you talked about that Intimac try at the end, but what about like when we were in uh, 80 minutes on the clock, 81 minutes, and, and the break they had from inside their 22 that almost could have been a, you know, a loss for Ulster going away from that. They can just score from anywhere. They were absolutely magical. It wasn't their day, but looking at Ulster, they were they were so, you know, like they can tidy up a few things. I think Dan McFarlane talked about the line out. I think it was 81% they, they lost four line outs, which would be unusual out of them and they 35 missed tackles. So although they came away with the win, they have a few areas they can tidy up as well. And and we see how clinical to lose are. But I was very, very impressed with Ulster. The, the pack were quite dominant. It took them a while to get into the game. But after that red card, I, I just think they found their footing. But it was that attack in rugby. It was getting to the, the wide challenge, reading Balakoon, reading that intercept from uh, DuPont. You know, it was just, it was great rugby to watch. I really enjoyed that game. It was definitely my, my favourite game of the weekend. Yeah, Alan Quinlan Keith referenced uh, Vermeulen and his physicality and Treadwell as well uh, this morning on OTBM with Jaron Owen so it's, it's you know it's Balakoon and the eye-catching hat-trick but like this is the second win for Ulster away in France they're they're able to hold their own this year up front certainly against Toulouse anyway uh, Look I think it's one of the great victories actually in, in, in um, Ireland's treks over to uh, you know provincial treks over to France because um Toulouse have had ups and downs, mostly ups, but they had a period of time when they were when they were down, um, and to try and get a win down there is 
like it's fright it's frightening i mean mm-hmm. i've been fortunate enough to have won there at monster i've also been beaten by 60 points down there with quins and it's it can be really really frightening when they play in that fashion and i know there's a red card and of course it was a red card and um i would say just for listeners there was no intent whatsoever he was looking at the ball absolutely um, but he was going almost too fast. And so he'd no sense of care in the people that were around him because he had to know somebody's going to be up in the air. That's one of the things that has changed somewhat that, you know, that um, even if he had jumped at that stage, it was almost too fast into it. And that's why you see an awful lot of chasing um, players who aren't running quite as fast when the ball is in inverted commas contestable. Um, I would touch a little bit on the lineouts. Um, the Arnold brothers um, would just, they'd make you puke if you're a hooker standing looking at them, <laughs> trying to thread these giants. They're, they're giants without being lifted, you know. And um, so I think there is a lot of pressure on the lineout for that. I would I, I thought um, Ulster would have shortened more lineouts than they did and uh, using pace on the ground to try and get up there. But um, but I thought it was fantastic. I thought uh, I was trying to get my head around whether he was offside or not. I've watched it too many times to figure it out in my own head. Um, the referee said he wasn't, so fair enough. And but he was doubting it himself because he was jogging, not sprinting. So, um, but again, I would say um, Entomac's try was incredible for what he did in the play two phases beforehand when he. He dumped one of the, the the props back on his ass um, and then got another five yards into contact to get them over the game line and they're still there to skip over at the end. Um, look, I think they're one of the few teams that can go to Ravenhill and do it, though they don't have a great history there and they don't have a great history on some of those tough matches. But this is do or die. Um, you know, a good score, a good try scored, and you're back fully in the game. It's very easy again for them. Mm. Um, I thought Cooney played pretty well, I have to say, as well. There was like there's a lot of good players. I like I like the manner in which um Ulster are trying to play. I think um McFarland's done a decent job. Um there is a sense of purpose, but there's also a sense of of attack. It's a very attack-minded team. And um, you know, I think that gives opportunities to the opposition, but it's one of the great days for Ulster. It sure is. Who's going through, Fiona? Uh, I'm going to. I'm going to say. I. I think Toulouse don't travel well, and Ravenhill has been a massive fortress because I. I think Ulster can do it at home. Okay. Uh, so we have Connacht and Leinster then Friday evening at the Aviva Stadium. Good Friday, second leg, five point uh, margin in Leinster's favour. There were eight thousand fans through the gates, in uh, Galway. This was really, it was an interesting, lively game. There was a great moment where um, Jack Hardy walks over and Johnny Sexton has had his fill of Jack Hardy at this stage. And he says, what's wrong now? Because any time Johnny Sexton was trying to talk to the referee, Jack Hardy made damn sure to be over there as well. Uh, so that dynamic was kind of bullying away in a nice way. I thought it wasn't getting too uh, touchy. Johnny Sexton definitely gets away with talking to referees in a way that players of a lesser stature would not get away with. Now that's maybe to his credit, and that's just human nature. But there's no question he gets away with it, doesn't he, Keith? Uh, he does. Um, too much, I would say. And don't choose that now as an anti-Lenster. <laughs> um, but it's one of the reasons you pick him for being yeah. a captain. He's not going to shut up anyway. And you might as well give him a, a captain's armband. They did the same at Richie McCaw um, um, at the very start. It was very hard to yellow card the captain. 
that was one of the things that was put in there. He used to get away with murder at, at ruck time. He was always offside, but um, but he could convince the ref the ref otherwise, and that's part of it. I, look, I'm delighted Jack Carty's winding him up. I think that's a great way to do it. Why wouldn't you? You know, that's there's nothing too bad in that sort of stuff. And look, for me, I think there's too much chat anyway, too much chat from pretty much all the players, too much chat from the referee. Get on with it. They don't have to refer they don't have to commentate on every single play that's happening, hands off the ball. If your hands are on the ball, it's pen to get it off. Yeah. You know, I like this shut it up a little. It would be better for me, I think. But it was a really interesting weekend or, or interesting game. I thought um, I fully expected Leinster to win by a lot more, and I think they should have won by more. Um, they got opened up several times, um, which is surprising for Leinster. Um, but they always look like they have the the opportunity to to go and score. And um, on the outside, I think um, Connick's defence struggled on the outside. You know, when there was um, any bit of show and go at all, anything just outside um, Bundy, uh, Bundyaki, who was excellent, anything outside him um, it became a little bit flaky, uh, you know, because whether it's people are in the right position or coming up out of the line or whatever it was, but um, I thought Connick looked, looked exposed in the outside channels later in the game. It's been their Achilles heel, Fiona, second highest points conceded in the URC, so they were always going to be hanging on a touch in that respect against Leinster. Like we knew in attack, you know, John Porch and the yeah. pace and Matt Hansen that Henson. Connacht would stick to their guns and, and, and play their game and that's admirable and, and it made for a very good game, but you always felt that's where they were going to come up short in defence. Leinster were always going to score against them and you don't lose that sense ahead of the game at the Aviva either, so it's going to take something very special on Friday, half past five. Yeah, something very special. I watched that game, you know, and I, I I look back at the stats on it today and, you know, Ruck Smalls, line out scrums, they were all, it was all like even percentages the whole way through the, the whole thing. But the thing that stood out for me was Leinster metres gained was 590 metres. So that was absolutely massive. Like that was the big difference. And I think that was out wide, as you said, Joe, they they just seemed to attack. There was space there. Um, we know what Mac Hansen could do. We know what John Porch, Tierno and Holleran probably had a quite game but um I think without Bundy especially in the midfield um they 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 lack kind of and with him in the team I thought it might have tightened things up a little bit because I hadn't he obviously hadn't played for a while with them but but it was just it's it was just one of those games where there was hate after hate and I I think Leinster probably haven't played as physical game in a long time the bodies will recover and I think uh I think when it goes up to to the is it DV that's on yeah yeah, when it goes to the Viva, I would imagine that there's be plenty of opportunity at wide for Leinster to score. I think they'll probably be disappointed with their attacking performance. The referee Carl Dixon had a decision to make around the Gibson Park tackle on Kieran Marmion. Uh, certainly his sense was Gibson Park had received the contact as opposed to a really driving force into Marmion's face and his nose obviously was gushing blood and maybe broken, but certainly a serious enough uh, moment. So he went with uh, yellow. It seemed, reading the body language of his assistant referees, they didn't agree with them. And you kind of think to yourself, regardless of whether you're wrong, right, or somewhere in between, if you're an assistant referee and your referee is there and he's giving you his thoughts and things, give your opinion. Don't have like iffy body language and looking at my feet and thinking, oh, I'm not so sure, but like help him out and give your opinion. He's a, and If he disagrees with it, he disagrees with it. Andy Friend said afterwards, Keith, he didn't uh, have any uh, problem with the decision. He thought probably was uh, a yellow for those reasons that Gibson Park more received the contact as opposed to uh, drove his shoulder 
into the, the face of um, Marmion. You could argue technically shoulder to face it's a red but uh, I think most people are going yeah probably just shy of a red. Where are you on it? Yeah, I'm I'm a bit 50-50, so I'll disagree with one of the, the first thing you said there, Joe, which is that the referee, they should give their opinion and say, you know, what they think. But I actually want the referee to make the opinion. And there was then no what, 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 What's the point then of the referee going over for a chat? I mean, if that's the, if that's the way you want it to be, fine. Like, but they're going over for this conversation and he's saying what he thinks to them. Why, well, are, they, why are they there? Well, I think unless they have a huge objection and they've seen something else from it, I think that's one of the reasons that you're going over. But you're looking at that. It's not as if that's clear cut because it's outside and then it's down to an opinion of, of the referee. I just rather the referee make the decision rather than the TMO. And he is the guy that ultimately makes the decision. So I'm not saying you should say, you know, don't give me your opinion. That's not what I'm saying. I want the ref to make the decision. What I don't like is when someone says, well, I don't know, ref, you need to look at that. And he'll have a look at it and he'd say, no, I disagree and I want to do what I want to do. Great, because that's what the referee's job is. It should be one solid voice because he's the guy who carries the can with it. For me, on the contact, uh, um, it could have been read just as easily. Sure. And um, and that's what I would say, not within the letter of the law. The, the bit that, that still gets me um because it's become so um uh, so important in the game now is that when someone is running at you you can't be in that upright position that's that's the issue the, the issue isn't uh, if he'd bent in any way it would have been fine but if you'd bent in any way and you made contact with the head um i i don't think it's as bad either um i just i look i it could have been read and I think it's 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 very nice of, of friends to say that it wasn't and you would expect him to say something else. I don't know. Um, but it was contact with the head and within the letter of the law. Yes, it's a red card. He could it, it could have been read just as easily. And look, he ran into him. And I, well, look, I was a guy who was running with my kind of head all the time when I had the ball in my hand. So um, you, you're, you're going to be difficult to tackle and not get a bash in your head, of which I got many. Um I just want to get that tackle out of the game. That's the one that seems to, you know, seems to be doing a lot of that upright tackle seems to be doing a lot of damage. Yeah, it's a weekly discussion at this point. Our uh, rugby coverage here and off the ball is with thanks to Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us, Fiona Hayes and Keith Wood with us. We will uh, finish before the clock really comes against us with Ireland 29, Italy 8 at Musgrave Park on Sunday in the TikTok Women's Six Nations. So for Ireland, that's one win, bonus point win, uh, two losses across uh, rounds one and two to Wales and France respectively. Uh, Next up in round four will be England at Welford Road which will not be easy, to say the least. Uh, Fiona, we've been watching Ireland obviously very closely over the last couple of weeks. The Italian performance, the, the things uh, we had been talking about in advance were set-piece, uh, handling errors. There were marked improvements on all those fronts. Yeah, marked improvements. It was it was really, really good um, performance. Second half performance. I think they, they wore the Italians down. Um, the thing, I was watching the game, uh, I was at the game, and the thing that I noticed was once they got the, that confidence, when they got that Eve, Hig- uh, that Eve Higgins try, I think, look, we saw the, the rugby that Greg Williams has been trying to get him to play. The confidence came alive. There was pa- it was far more free-flowing. The, the passes were going to hand. The handling errors went out the window. But, but John Fogarty, 
he was in with that scrum during the week and it's 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 massive what a week's a week's coaching can do a difference or not even a week it was probably a few days they really tightened that up the italian scrum is generally very very good um 100 success rate in the last six nations to give france a, a good going over as well at times so they are it is quite good so it's to to set that up if they can consistently bring that and if they can control that scrum against england i think it will be massive for them in that big game it did seem as if Catherine Dane's presence at Scrum Half got things moving. Yeah. I mean, Avian Riley is very young and has made her debut in this championship and will have many years, you suspect, in an Irish jersey. But Dane, her passing seemed to be crisper, seemed to allow the team to spread out a touch more and the, the attacking shape was maybe better as a result as well. Definitely. And I think I think the thing with that is, you know, Catherine Dane, obviously, like all good players, you, you probably believe you should be starting. So she she's going on with, uh, you know, the bit between her teeth. She she wants to go with that. And and she proved it. She proved she should be starting. Avian Riley, brilliant player, just inexperienced. She's so young. She's mm. been kind of on the seventh circuit. She's only played a little bit of club rugby, um, whereas Catherine has been consistently around. She's probably the second highest capped. I actually thought that she would have been one of the people in view mind to, to become the next captain because you know she's a great voice in that squad she's really good presence but what she did is she actually played to the best of her ability I thought her kicking game was really good at times but it was her control and you know she slowed things down when she had to but she also got a game going quickly in the second half uh, Stacey Flood seemed to pull the strings at 12 as well and uh, the uh, the worry uh, whatever word you want to use as Ireland head to Welford Road next, Keith, is that of the starting team at Musgrave Park, numbers 11 to 15 will all disappear and be off playing sevens now. And this is the uh, structure in Irish rugby. This is the way it is. It's a it's a World Cup sevens year. Greg McWilliams was very open about this at the start of the championship. He said, we will be without these players come the last two games of the championship. So that is the really uh, tough juggling act, I can imagine, both for players and management that on the back of a good performance ahead of your most difficult game by far, uh, numbers 11 to 15 uh, effectively are gone and a new batch have to come in just to just to make life all the more tricky. Well, it plays into the hands of the bigger squads, bigger teams, more professional squads that are able to have um, parallel journeys of sevens and fifteens. That's And that's part of the issue that goes with it. I remember when that came out and it just I didn't know that that was the case and suddenly... Um, this conversation that we're going to be missing a chunk of our players at the end of it. And, um, I, that just shows for me a lack of proper coordination in the organisation of the tournaments because um, it's it's trying to grow women's rugby as much as you possibly can. And But again, it just goes back and it, it makes it easier for bigger countries to 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 be able to, to do different things on different fronts. And um, for... Uh, for an Irish team where um, where the sevens has been of unbelievable value for mm. the 15s and it really it really has um, but it shows you that the pool of players at the top level intersect too much to be able to do that so I understand the importance of qualifying and I understand the importance for the Olympics I think it's really really important for the game but there needs to be a higher level of coordination and that doesn't seem to be existing at the moment. Fiona Wun suspects Emer Considine comes back in and presumably yeah. her confidence has taken a dent having been dropped at the weekend and now it's like, OK, you're back in. And beyond Considine, is it immediately obvious to you as to who's going to fill those spots? 
Um, yeah, I, I've kind of been following the squad and having a look. Um, I would I would imagine we've seen Enya breed. I would imagine Enya go straight into the centre. I think Michelle Clafius or kind of um, do the warm up with the team. I think she might go in centre. Um, he may or may not ask Senna Naipu back to to even to train and, and see how she's getting on. That could definitely be a possibility. We have Emer and there's actually um, a girl called Molly Suffolk-McCabe who is... Uh, from uh, Railway Union um, and she is someone that's played really, really well at fullback all season. They won the AIL. I saw her also with the squad doing training. So I wouldn't be surprised if she went straight into that starting 15 jersey with Eber going out of the wing. Okay, very good. Listen, that's enough non-monster talk. We'll uh, wrap things up. <laughs> uh, Fiona Hayes, Keith Wood, pleasure. Thanks so much, guys. Nice Great one. Thanks, you. Joe. Bye-bye. Bye. Monday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone main sponsor of the Irish rugby team we all belong to the team of us